the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost. Amen. You may be seated. Good morning. We are continuing our series through the life of David, and chapter 7, for, or 2 Samuel chapter 7, rather, uh, is a hugely important uh, passage of Holy Scripture, and it begins with uh, this commentary that the Lord had blessed David by uh, giving him the land, uh, by giving uh, him and Israel a capital city, uh, by, by giving him uh, rest from his enemies, uh, and this beautiful house uh, made of cedar. So David's sitting there in his pad, and he gets the idea to, to build a house, a temple for the Lord. Uh, and this was a good thing. I mean, it, I, I get it. It just seemed wrong to David that his house was nicer than God's. It's kind of like uh, if your parents take you on vacation and they're paying for everything, and you're like in the suite in the hotel and they're out, you know, sit, you know uh, just like laying on the sofa bed. It just doesn't feel right, does it? You know, it's like, well, maybe, maybe they should come in here and uh, relax a little bit. But that's not what really is going on at all, but, you know, it, it's somewhat analogous. <laughs> So David shares this desire, which is a good desire, to, to build a house for God. He shares this desire with the prophet Nathan, uh, who tells him, he says, go ahead, for the Lord is with thee. But then the Lord comes to Nathan that night to speak, not of what David will do for the Lord, but of what the Lord has done and will do for David. And for Israel. The Lord telleth thee that he will make thee an house. I love that. Play on words by Almighty God. God, I want to make you a house. Well, I'm good. We're going to do that a little bit different way. Actually, David, I'm going to make you a house. I'm going to make you a household. That is a royal family, a kingdom. Now, the proximate fulfillment of this promise is David's son, Solomon. Because he does build a temple, a house for the Lord. And the Lord did want the temple in Jerusalem to be, for a time, his dwelling on earth. To be this microcosmic preview of what God had in store. That's what a temple is. It's a microcosm. It's a small world. That's what the, ar the architecture of a church is. Of it represents things in the cosmos. So God in the Old Testament, he shows in this, on a small scale, this is what I want to do throughout the whole world. So the Lord did want, eventually, this temple in Jerusalem to be built, even though it, it seems from the English translation, he kind of says, you know, if I want something done, I'm going to let you know. You guys don't need to be thinking of things to do for me. Have I ever told you to do this yet? But here in 2 Samuel, the Lord is pointing towards the ultimate temple 
which is Jesus Christ, and by extension, the church, which is his body. What did our Lord say? Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. You guys have heard me in our short life together probably say this many times, but a temple is a dwelling place for deity. It's a home, a house where they live. It's the place where heaven and earth overlap. So Christ, in view of what God says in 2 Samuel 7, Christ is both the temple, for in him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And he is the temple builder, for the members of the church, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house. With regard to Christ ultimately being the subject of for example, verse 13 of 2 Samuel chapter 7, Tertullian writes this. He says, Now because Christ, rather than any other, was to build the temple of God, that is to say, a holy manhood, wherein God's Spirit might dwell as in a better temple. Christ, rather than David's son Solomon, was looked to be the Son of God. So what's going on here in 2 Samuel 7? Because if you read it in context, is, is the word of the Lord uh, given to the prophet Nathan here in 2 Samuel chapter 7? Is it about Solomon or is it about the Messiah? Well, the answer is both. It's about both temporal and eternal things. And, and this is a common occurrence in Holy Scripture, uh, that prophecies and promises will have both what's called a proximate fulfillment, means it's near, and an ultimate fulfillment. But the latter is primary. This covenant, this is a covenant which God is making with David. This covenant with David is astounding because he's telling David and this is what's recounted in our psalm today, Psalm 89, this promise to David. He's telling David that through his line, the promises to Abraham are going to be fulfilled, which are certainly in view in this passage. He's telling him that through his line, the very purposes of creation and redemption are going to be accomplished. So the royal dynasty turns out to be an eternal kingdom. The son who builds the temple turns out to be the temple. The temple which he builds is the church. And the son of David turns out to be the Lord of all. The son which God will raise up is he whom God rose from the dead raised up from the dead. N.T. Wright comments, and I was surprised, this is not usually his style, but he, he comments that here in verse 12, where it says, I will raise up your seed after you. 
says in both the Hebrew and the Greek, you could translate that, I will resurrect. You could read that as, I will resurrect. This is speaking of Christ. In the opening verses of Romans, so this will give you just one example of how this passage, it's, it's burned into the consciousness of Israel and then very much in the consciousness of the early church, that they understand this to be speaking of Christ. Listen to Paul's greeting uh, in the epistle to the Romans. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle, apostle set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures concerning his son, who was descended from David according to the flesh and was declared to be the Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Because of Jesus, because the word became flesh, that's temple language, the word became flesh and dwelt, tabernacled among us. Because of this, because Jesus offered his flesh for the life of the world at Calvary and was raised up on the third day, we can be united with God. We have access to his presence. The veil, if you think about Solomon's temple, the temple which he did build, the, the veil which separated the holy place from the most holy place. It separated symbolically heaven and earth which had been rent asunder by sin and death. So when Christ died on Calvary, curtain is torn. So that means that the, the presence of God, checking out glory of God, his manifest presence, formerly limited to the holy of holies, can now flood the earth and we have access to God's presence through Jesus Christ. Christ is the temple of God. Again, in him all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. And if we are in him, then we are in the temple of God. In fact, we are the temple of God by virtue of being in him. Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, being joined together, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God. astounding as you read about the presence of God 
Think of Uzzah in the ark. We've been made the temple of God. And if we, the church, are the, the temple of the Holy Spirit, how then should we live? I mean, temples are holy places. They're places where heaven and earth overlap. Thus, we are to be holy as the one who indwells us is holy. And as we journey through this life, whether amidst sun or storm, we will do well to be mindful of the presence of God within us. Be mindful of his promises that he is with us and in us and that the promises that he has made to us in Jesus Christ are better than anything we could ask or imagine. As a sort of epilogue to the sermon, I think when you look at 2 Samuel chapter 7, in the light of today's collect, there's something to be learned about prayer. You see, David seeks to do one thing. He wants to build a temple for the Lord. And God says no to that. He says, you're not going to do that. Your son's going to do that. By the way, ultimately, the temple is my son, Jesus Christ. He says, I'm going to make you a house. Through you, I'm going to establish an eternal kingdom. So God had something better for David than he could have imagined. I bet if you think back through your life on things you prayed for, maybe especially things you prayed for when you were a teenager or in college or in your 20s, is there anything you can look back? I bet there is and say, thank you, God, for saying no to that prayer. God always answers the prayers of his children. That answer might be no. It might be yes. It might be yes and yeah, but it's a little bit different. That. It might be wait. Teaches us about something about prayer. In the college, as we said, God knows our necessities before we ask, and I love this, and our ignorance in asking. Brothers and sisters, we need to be open to the fact that sometimes God says no to our prayers because he wants to give us something better, namely himself. And that's part of what God is, is, is saying to David. You want to do this? This is temporal. Set not your mind on things on the earth, but set your mind on things above. So brothers and sisters, let us today give thanks for the so great of a salvation that God raised up through his servant David in sending Jesus Christ, our Lord. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Ghost.